0: I'm Sterling Hershey, freelancer for Wizards of the Coast and the Star Wars role-playing game and miniatures game, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast.
1: This is Rodney Thompson, game designer for the Star Wars role-playing game at Wizards of the Coast, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast.
2: Correctly with the correct amount
3: V20 Radio,
4: your gamers roll. www.v20radio.com
3: Execute order 66. Hello, and welcome back to another edition, number 59 of the Order 66 podcast, your podcast for everything Star Wars Saga Edition, and we have a beautiful show in store for you tonight here on this March 22nd, 2009, and of course, I could not, could not do this all by myself. I will have to call on my faithful cohort gm chris
2: what is up gamer nation it is i gm chris here with you and of course dave to talk about the glory the power and the passion that is star wars saga edition role playing for those of you who may have just encountered this podcast for the first time this is the order 66 podcast the only fan generated podcast entirely devoted to star wars a saga edition ah yes so, it is goodness.
3: And we've got a fantastic action-packed show, and we'll introduce our guests in a little bit, but let's get to the news. Yes. What? Well, dude. Guess what? Another Adventure sneak attack, 16. man. Yeah? Another sneak attack.
2: I know it. I know it. Adventure 16 of Radio Free Hamlet is crawling through the dungeon as we speak. Uh, the gang compiles more DDXP goodness, taking some time to talk with some DMs from the con, and discuss some 4th edition D&D rules that players often find most confusing or misunderstood.
3: Ah, very good. Yep, so Great. check it out. And uh, episode number 9 of Meanwhile the Super Gaming Podcast has shown up. And mostly Joe and are talking about the unplayable superhero... Dream <clears throat> Green Lantern! <clears throat>
2: okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of unplayable, yeah. Yeah. But, no, it's a good cast. I've only heard the first half of it, um, and it's... Um it's very, very informative. Those those two always have good discussions. Of course. Very cool. And uh, also, what else is out? Episode 14 of Game On uh, hit the shelves today. It is in the saddle ready to ride as Brian and Andy get misty-eyed about RPG systems of yore.
3: Yeah, I can't wait to listen to that one. I'll start it on Monday. And guess what? The brand new Cinematic Addict, episode number one of D20 Radio's brand new podcast breb and jed are sharing geekery of all things silver screen and the first episode starts with what else but the Watchmen.
2: oh uh, god i still haven't had a chance to listen to that which is a shame I, I saw Brev yesterday and he asked me and i'm like not yet i'm going to though yeah just so.
3: bother him about uh five minutes left in the podcast there's a really big rotund hairy edit that he forgot to make
2: Oh, he mentioned that, too. He's like, he felt so bad. I'm like, dude, it's okay.
3: (laughs) It's his first show. I mean, seriously, you know.
2: But you guys can find all these wonderful podcasts, of course, at d20radio.com. And while you're there, you can, of course, click on the fine links that are there, aside from the podcast, uh, where you can, of course, grab some D20 Radio swag. And uh, for those of you who are interested in more t-shirts beyond just the Order 66 and RF8 shirts that are out there, Nick at Custom Crazy Tees is in the process of designing some brand new stuff, and he wants your input. So get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. Sign up now, become a member of the Gamer Nation, and post your mind. Let us know what we need to give you. Yeah. All
3: right. So let's deviate from the normal plan just a little bit and do
4: this. And now. Stormtrooper Poetry Tall, grey, powerful with an ad at it's never dull. Take out rebel bases, watch the troops die while it paces. Left, right, on it goes, stomp down hard on little foes. Squish, splat it, uh, oh oh my uh, oh, oh don't feel so um <coughs>
5: storm Trooper
3: poetry all right another fine specimen. isn't that nasty that's great
2: that's gross man it's all right
3: though you know thank you very much to fiddleback of course hey did you get a postcard this week
2: oh i just might have gotten a postcard from our good friend commander cody and this is actually a really cool postcard dave um this is a an amazing postcard it's a tiny holographic projector Uh, with an amazingly realistic hollow of a gorgeous animated postcard streaming out of it. And images of thousands of people having fun and eating corn dogs flow over the advertising script, which reads, Welcome to Hologram Fun World, traveler! Prepare for your wildest dreams to become reality, as HFW takes you to the heights of fun!
3: From across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards from Commander Cody.
4: GM Dave and GM Chris. Hi guys. I must admit, I was rather excited to get back to the Core Worlds, after our mission on Ord Mantell ended poorly. Frankly, you don't want to know. At first I thought our commander might be sore at us, but he's given us shore leave, (laughs) of all things. We've docked in the Ze'Griffin system, to take a visit to the hap hap happiest place in the Core Worlds, Hologram Fun World. (laughs) This manufactured planet was supposedly created centuries ago by the Zeltron, not surprising, and is the ultimate in excitement and pleasurable experience. Masterful hologram technology provides attractions and rides that delight visitors with exotic locations and exciting situations. I've wanted to come here for so long. I'm told the Anywhere Room is an amazing attraction, but what's really surprised me is the number of Imperials here on HFW. I can't imagine they're all here on holiday. I've also noticed Dr. Borbigamus Gog here. And he's one of the Empire's special weapons and development scientists, working on some top-secret stuff, so I'm told. But for some odd reason, he's here on HFW. He's encouraging tourists, and my men and I have been ordered to try out a new attraction, which will supposedly scan our brains, looking for our worst fear, and projecting it out for our amusement. I can't say I find the sight of a pink Koakian monkey lizard very amusing, or, um, whatever other people are afraid of. Hey, Gawakian monkey lizards are terrifying brutes, they are! And the pink... Oh, uh, the pink... Well... Look, guys, the squad and I are scheduled to report to the new attraction at 0400, so I'm gonna take the chance to ride a mud speeder through the Anywhere Grotto. Maybe grab a funnel cake or two. I hear the frozen blue milk custard is fantastic as well. <laughs> I can't believe the Empire has given us so much after our failure at Ord It just goes to show these rebels are all wrong. Oh, I love my job. Listen, boys, if you're ever in the mood for the ultimate tourist attraction, head to Hologram Fun World, where the fun is whatever you make it. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend,
3: Commander Cody. As you might notice, we're a little bit disjointed here because we have such a massive conflagration of talent with us today. And, uh, <laughs> I think that uh, for the time being, sir, I will let you follow with some fantastic introductions. What do you say?
2: Sounds like a plan. We have some special guests joining with us this evening. Uh, Three people of note whose names happen to adorn the cover of a wonderful book that was released recently, the Legacy Era Campaign Guide for Star Wars Saga Edition. With us are Rodney Thompson, Sterling Hershey, and Mr. Gary Asselford. And it's your first time joining us, is it not, sir? It is. It is. Fantastic. Welcome to the Menagerie. It's going to be an interesting experience. (laughs) Sterling, Rodney, how are you guys doing?
0: I'm doing fine.
1: Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having me on.
2: Well, we're here to talk about the Legacy Era Campaign Guide, and uh, we're really going to jump right into it. Um, so, guys, I mean, you know how this works. This is pretty much a roundtable discussion. Please feel free to to pop in or talk. Um, the chat room, of course, those that are live on the chat right now at uh, at ustream.tv/slash um, channel/slash order-66-podcast can uh, hear us all and uh, can interact live. But let's start by talking about like living the legacy. Now, I think the legacy era is kind of an interesting part of the Star Wars universe in that. It's kind of one of the few eras that's comprised entirely of, of really written EU material. I mean, to date, there's been no television show, no movies that have been made about it. I mean, the only media for legacy has really been the, the printed kind. And as such, I think many common fans may have uh, little familiarity with the era um, or what's gone on in this incredibly rich era. So, I mean, what, was this a design consideration for you guys? When you were, when you, what, what were you thinking about when you were trying to write for this era?
1: Uh, Well, for me, basically the Legacy Era represents kind of this uh, tabula rasa of of, uh, Star Wars. It's sort of this era where there's so much that hasn't been defined that you can go and do a book like the Legacy Era Campaign Guide and not actually have to worry about stepping on the toes of the authors, right? We can flesh out backstories of characters and vehicles and weapons and things like that and not have to worry that we're stepping on some kind of blessed continuity and it lets us, you know, have a lot more freedom and plus I, I don't know about everybody else, but when I run my Star Wars games, I do feel a little bit of pressure to adhere to continuity, just because I want my players to feel like they're you know in the in the same story as the rest of the characters. So, it's an era where players and game masters can sort of go off and do their own thing, and not have to worry, A, about violating continuity, and B, also, since it is such an open setting, it means that people can have a huge impact on the setting, and still have it fit in with what's going on in the comics. So, yeah the the, uh, the the fact that it, it is a little fleshed out setting is actually one of the biggest positives in my book about doing a book like this.
2: Fantastic. Sterling, Gary. I mean, what, what, do you, what, do you, what did you guys like about you know writing for this era? Uh,
0: well, I liked uh, the opportunity to have a lot more sort of design space and be able to um, fill in more of the gaps and create our own stuff. Uh, to do so, I mean, we, we get to do that to varying degrees on, on every project, but uh, depending on how much continuity we're dealing with, um, you know, sometimes it becomes almost encyclopedic, and this time we were able to, to, you know, be a lot more creative. And I was happy to see a lot of that um, make it through the design process and the, uh, the approvals process. Um,
2: gotcha. I mean, I guess it kind of feels like you're, I mean, do you guys feel like you're free to make that mark in a sense?
1: Yeah, I I think so. Um, I know that Sterling did a lot of stuff in the Galactic Alliance chapter, for example, that was not only a chance a to clarify things, but also to just be creative. Uh, a lot of the new like Starfighter squadrons, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and he can explain that a little bit better than I can even. So I'm going to let Sterling take it away now.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, at one at a certain point, we figured out that um, you know there were a number of Starfighters that already existed. Um, that uh, we could do stat blocks for. But there were some start, some places that, you know, they hadn't introduced starships yet. Uh, you know, they hadn't really fleshed out um, a lot of the, Galacti- the Galactic Alliance forces very much. And so um, at a certain point, we decided to go ahead and uh, start creating some of that stuff for ourselves. And uh, um, so I created a number of uh, different starfighters and some specialized squadrons to go along with them, sort of a la rogue squadron although rogue rogue squadron does still exist um so these are other squadrons that you could use and you could assign your characters to um to carry out equally important tasks um in your campaign and uh so you won't see them um show up in the comics although i suppose someday that could happen if if they like that yeah, maybe. but uh but we also got you know i s- sketched up some starfighter designs and sent those in and uh they uh Ended up using those in the uh, in the artwork, so I was really uh, psyched to see that come out. Um, they look really good, so pretty happy with that.
2: That's awesome. Gary, was there anything original that that you got to really play with or or add to the mix?
5: Well, this was actually one of the first books I did a lot of mechanical stuff on, and and what little work I did revolved around mechanics and prestige classes and that sort of thing. So, um, I mean, just coming into the project, I was actually kind of daunted by the fact that we were kind of entering unexplored territory i mean i really hadn't worked i hadn't known anything about legacy before i started reading the the graphic novels uh, rather the trades and um i'm used to working on licensed products you know with warhammer at work and, and star wars in the past and so i'm not used to having a heck of a lot of wiggle room so in that regard legacy was a new experience (laughs)
2: <laughs> well can now you bring up a interesting point though you talk about that there is there is an established canon for this you know there's there's not a whole lot but it, it's there you know and the, true there's a lot of blank slate but I wanted to ask you guys what were the most important things about this ex-era, era existing that you really uh, for lack of a better term, just wanted to be sure to include. Like, what does is, what is le- legacy era mean to you? What, what's iconic in it that when you were writing, you said to yourselves, okay, wow, we really need to include this. This is important. This is essential to to this book, to this era.
1: For me, one of the things I wanted to emphasize, and I don't, I don't know if I would call it iconic, but uh, one of the things I really wanted to stress in this book is that this is sort of your kitchen sink setting for Star Wars, right? I mean, D and D's got things like Forgotten Realms that has a little bit of everything tossed into it. Legacy is that kind of same, that same kind of setting where you can basically take anything from the history of Star Wars and dump it into the Legacy setting, right? So uh, I ended up writing some sidebars or sections in the game mastering chapter that basically tried to encourage. D- or GMs to look at something from any era they want and find a way to bring it forward, whether that was just bringing it forward conceptually, right, like if you really liked a, say you really liked a particular, you know, Old Republic uh, uh, space transport, right, just find a way to sort of update that design and bring it forward, whether it means literally bringing things forward in time, like freezing people in carbonite or in uh, uh, going to the planet Diego and getting stuck there and not aging and you know, there's there's actually a variety of ways that things from the past can come to the future uh, has been has been established in continuity now. If you overuse those things, obviously it gets a little wonky and sort of loses some of its gravitas, but yeah. when it comes to things like, you know, the Empire, for example, uh, one of the things I specifically said in the Empire chapter is anything that was fair game under Palpatine's Empire, you're pretty much going to be okay to put it in the Legacy era. I mean, the one yeah. clearing exception is the Inquisitorious, which is replaced instead by the Sith. So, um, you know, one of the things I said is, you know, we don't have Storm Commandos and uh, Scout Troopers and stuff like that in this book, but that doesn't mean they aren't in the Legacy era. It just means that you can basically look at the Imperial stuff in the... uh, uh, the core rule book in the Force Unleashed campaign guide and then in the upcoming Rebellion era book and any of those imperial things that you see in those books you can use those in the legacy era almost unmodified and that's one of the things I really want to emphasize is use anything you want to this is the legacy era anything goes it's an era where any idea you can possibly have can be made to fit at least at, at, at this point it can gotcha
2: uh Sterling, uh Gary, what 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 iconic was there from the, the legacy era that you were really excited to see fleshed out or any, you know, in that era? Uh, well <laughs> Go for it, Sterling.
0: Um well I mean since I was assigned to the uh the Galactic Alliance chapter, you know, there was a lot of Ryan, Ryan. uh a lot of stuff happening. Um the Gla- it's really interesting the way they set up the legacy comics, you sort of have this Galactic Alliance storyline that's almost separate from uh kind of the main Cade skywalker storyline and so you'll see them sort of take a break from the main storyline sometime and go to the uh go to this other ga storyline but there was a lot of things that uh that weren't fleshed out yet and so yeah i, I was glad to have that op- opportunity um so uh you know it was really fun to look at uh the the galactic alliance fleet in more detail and who are these guys and and what you know what kind of support do they really have out there yeah. and then, then as part of that we had to also figure out what Exactly, the Galactic Alliance was from what we could read in the comics and what we knew a little bit from uh, Legacy of the Force uh, and how all that was coming together. But it was really interesting because when we were writing this, um, the end of Legacy of the Force hadn't, at least on my part, hadn't been, hadn't come out yet, or it came out right at the end. And um, some of the some of the revelations they had for uh, Legacy as well. Uh, some of the bigger ones came out a little bit later, so um, we did get some of those details later. But at the time, it was interesting to try and figure out and piece together what they were.
2: Well, I, I love the I love the work that was done. Especially, um, one of the things that caught me was was I mean I know Rodney mentions the sidebars. There's a lot of sidebars in this book, and it's clear you guys took the time to. Flesh out, um, like for instance, when you talk about the the Galactic Alliance chapter, there's this nice little sidebar on creating your own units and and squadrons and for starship crews, kind of how to integrate the PCs into that framework. Yes. And I thought I was like, wow, that's that's fantastic. I mean, that alone is just a marvelous GM.
0: Yeah, I mean, because it, it it really uh, opens it up. You know, since uh, like Rodney was saying, there's not a lot of continuity. Uh, it, you can you can create all your own squadrons. You can um, um, tie in specialized groups, and some of that. You know, I tried to recall a little bit from the rebellion era, uh, but uh, try and bring some of that forward a little bit. But didn't want to rely too much on that. This the Galactic Alliance should feel a little bit different from the the Rebel Alliance, although they have a similar role now.
2: Well, it's almost as if it's giving the GM permission to to to, for lack of a better term, create his own continuity. Because when you're in the setting where you don't have a whole ton of established continuity and again you talk about you know rob you talk about saying you know it's often difficult to mess with the continuity when you're playing in an established era i think that mentality can kind of be hard to break period and so this is almost one of those hey hey it's okay and and you can create this on your own and this is how you can do it and i don't know i just find that tremendously useful so um gary uh what what, what did you love from legacy what were you excited to flesh out in this oh the imperial knights yeah so i'd
0: wanted to take a shot at that too so (laughs) i was jealous
5: i I had a big uh that was one of the things that i really grabbed onto it was kind of like a drowning man (laughs) falling off the titanic and and, uh, that the imperial knights are just so
2: they're very flavorful
5: they're very flavorful and the first time i'd ever read up on them there's this picture i think of of uh, the three central knights draco and and uh, Forgive me, my my brain's not working this late at night. But I saw that that, yeah. that artwork and I said, "Thank you." <laughs> I saw that artwork and I said, "You know, these guys look really cool. They've got this this cool red armor and they've got their lightsabers, which are obviously kind of a weird color and they're very uh, they're very unique. And it's a it's a nice take on the Force, kind of a gray Jedi thing where you don't necessarily have to be a Jedi Knight or a Sith. You can be this." This A member of the, the Imperial Knights serving the emperor, and that was it was really interesting to it's me cool,
2: the entire chat room agrees with you. everyone is saying, okay, Gary officially rocks because <laughs> Imperial knights are an awesome concept Very, very cool okay, so in terms of in terms of creating the book we've talked about the the general uh, for lack of a better term, fluff that you guys wanted to bring in these very the, these these concepts, these overarching concepts. Now we had a few other things introduced as well that are for I, I guess I would call them purely mechanical constraints. Now we're, there were several new mechanics that were introduced. I know we're going to be talking about some in greater detail uh, here to come. Most notably the the new legacy destinies, of course. Was there anything at all? I mean, if if there was any any mechanics. Any game-changing mechanics or new rules that you really wanted to see fleshed out in this book that you were happy to get in there finally, or or perhaps now?
0: There were a couple things I was glad to get in because I, I worked on the heroics traits chapter. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And one of which was uh, one of the new scoundrel talents with a seducer. Um, I have a, car- I have a, a player that <laughs> likes to have this, you know, the seductive twilight character, and so. Uh, it was fun to be able to provide something for, for uh, that uh, her to use.
2: That is a lot of fun, yes. Gary, Rodney?
0: Well,
1: for me, this was actually the first book that I... Uh, the first book after... Uh, so many others that had what I considered to be essential things put in that I wanted to, you know, mechanically put into the book. This is the first time I really got to sit back and relax and say, okay, we're going to put in a few nice new mechanical bits, but this one's largely going to be about the fluff because like Knights of the Old Republic, this is our chance to really flesh things out in an era that hadn't really been touched so far. So, um... I think that's why we have kind of more subtle uh, mechanical elements in this, like the legacy destiny uh, thing kind of fits within our existing destiny system and heirloom items we'd seen before. We just wanted to refine them for this right. book. Uh, the one thing that I did have is sort of my mission going into this, and it was it's kind of a subtle mission, so you may not really think it's that big of a deal. But for me, I wanted to make sure that we presented this as a time period when you could have Zhen Vong on your side, when you could have players playing Yuzhen Vong characters, right? Uh, And the idea being that I I was thinking, you know, this is the Legacy Era. If we really want to show how different it is, let players play Yuzhen Vong. So that's why the the Yuzhen Vong are included as a player race and why we spent so much time talking about, you know, the, the Vong weapons and providing templates and things like that so that people could play those and kind of create this Wow, this this really is different. We've got you know the former invaders of the galaxy now on our side. So uh, I really wanted to see that, and then also by the same token, trying to integrate a lot of Yuji Vong technology into the game by saying you know okay, well, the the fringe really likes to use. Uh, You know, Vong technology because you can get past sensors and they like to have Vong bio replacements rather than cybernetic replacements. So it was just a chance for me to kind of integrate the Yuzhen Vong into the galaxy and, and make them less outsiders and more this sort of outlaw fringe kind of faction.
0: Plus, whole planets were you know, affected by that invasion, and so a lot of that technology might be available, or even if it's still old or not being used, um, on some of those worlds that your characters might visit.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it, it is a big part of the era, definitely, and you guys clearly went out of your way to to make sure that was a viable aspect. I mean, you touched on it virtually in every single uh, mechanical change from, from I, mean, I mean, a whole new talent, skills, feats, you know, a brand new prestige class just devoted to nothing but using Vong tech when you get down to it. Um, very cool. Um, Gary?
5: That's kind of funny. I was never a real big fan of the Yuzhen Vong uh, at all. <laughs> uh, um, you know, being kind of an old school Star Wars geek, they seemed a little too Clive Barker for me, you know, when I first started reading about them. and um, But the Legacy Era does present them, uh, I don't know, I guess they've kind of been marginalized in the Legacy Era, not necessarily what we've written here, but... Um, in the setting, they're they're not they're not going from planet to planet, destroying everything. They're there as more of a flavor, more of a, a taste of what happened in the past. And and I actually find myself enjoying the use of Vong technology um, on the fringe, and it makes a lot of sense.
2: It does. What, it's it's a what new what Rodney flavor.
5: worked out. Very cool.
0: Well, and I, and I liked the way that uh, just talk about the Yuji Vong in general. I wasn't a big fan uh, at the beginning of the. Uh, N.J.O. Uh, series, but uh, I actually like the way that ended up developing and ended up um, coming out in the end, so although it does seem that in the novels, at least, they have sort of taken the Yuzhan Vong and said, okay, we put you on this planet and sent you away, and there's not very many of them, they don't really talk about them much anymore in the in the novels. Uh, we'll see if that changes, but uh, um, you know, I think it's been, uh, it developed much better than uh, I thought it was going to.
2: I, I can say you you mirror my thoughts almost perfectly. When when I first started reading NJO stuff, I, I wasn't a huge big fan of the Bong, but they've they've grown on me. No pun intended. Um, and and they've I, I like I like the evolution of them, and I think it's safe to say I I like them better in the Legacy era than I do in the NJO era. But they're just they're just fun all around. Well, this kind of leads this gentleman into talking about now, now. We talk about the Vong, and we talk about you know now including them. I think you actually answered one of my questions, Rodney, already, which was going to be you know why why the reprint of Vong in the species chapter for as as a bonafide PC race. But again, you already say it's because you know you want them to be PCs. You want you want players to feel comfortable as playing them as PCs. That would be a a good a good summation.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, mostly. I just wanted to present sort of new and kind of crazy options. I mean, part of the reality of releasing these era books is that what we're effectively doing is releasing campaign settings. Yeah. And we all know what happened with, you know, TSR back in the day when they were trying to support (laughs) so many big campaign settings. So what I want to do with, with each of these era books is basically have them provide a very, very distinct feel for your game and I I don't know, putting the Yusuan Vong in there as a player race. It might be a little bit wacky or, you know, it might not be to Gary's tastes and you know, far be it for me to put something in the game that Gary doesn't like, I guess I'll have to go flagellate myself over that oh, now. <laughs> we all know who the boss is, Rodney. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean I just I, I, I just want to I want to push people's expectations with a lot of these books. I want to push people's uh, conceptions of the time periods. And I really want to drive home certain themes. And one of the themes in this book is that, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the era for everything, right? This is the time period where you can put anything in there. And I thought one of the ways that I could really drive that home with the reader is by putting the Yuzhen Vong in there as a player race. Because that's really saying, hey, this is the Anything Goes campaign setting.
2: That same logic, was that also why the Chiss were fleshed out as a, as a player race as opposed to the the, the threat sidebar previously?
1: Um, the decision to put the Chiss in there was really more because they're sort of becoming more and more prominent in the EU, right? I mean, yeah. we have not only Filour in the uh, uh, Legacy era, but we also have you know, the Survivor's Quest novel that talks about the Chiss. Uh, I had just read Outbound Flight before I was uh, outlining this book, so... The, yeah, the decision was more that they are sort of rising to prominence, and then also you'll note that the species are often chosen based on who are prominent characters in you know that time period. And so with you know a chis moth in there, I thought this is a good chance to introduce them as sort of this this other faction uh, that could be that could be played. Right now, uh, someone. Well, I, th- I think most people have had enough time to read now, and they. Uh, have probably read how the Chiss Ascendancy and a few other sort of independent states are semi-under Imperial control. They're not technically part of the Empire, but there's a strong Imperial military presence. I think there's something neat about this idea of playing a character who comes from... Uh, a place that's sort of standing with one foot in independence and one foot in reliance on the Empire. And the Chiss really modeled that. And I think that's kind of a neat character who's got this sort of cultural identity crisis. Are we an imperial state or are we still the Chiss ascendancy? And so I think that that's a you know really good way to create a character that's got not only a personal backstory but also a cultural backstory.
2: Cool. Well, aside from the Chiss and the Vong, we had lots of species in this book, wonderfully introduced. I was talking to Brev yesterday, and he we were talking about the book, and he was telling me he thinks that this has been the best strata of of new species that, that he's he's liked the most in a book so far. So we've got we've got we've got the Chagrian. Okay, we've got we've got the Chiss, of course. Uh, we've got the Kodruji, which are just kitschy to the point of total awesomeness. I can't wait to roll one up. Um, we've got the the um the nagai which you kind of have to have um Wee Kuei, finally i know people have been clamoring for that and of course the vong and the zeltron um but we've also got uh there were four i guess non-pc races or, or just kind of fleshed out in the stat bars we had the vala uh, the Advise, uh, the Sakina and, and of course the chadra fan which i was happy to see i'm a chadra fan fan um so, I guess, more than any other book, we're seeing the the non-PC races, aside from, of course, Threats of the Galaxy. Um, any particular reason why we had so many?
1: Um, well, it's not that much many more than we've had in any other book. Um, really? Once again, I don't really consider anything that's not in the player section to be a full write-up, and anything that's not in a player section is also fair game, right? Oh, okay. So, I mean... Like I say, uh, now the Vala were actually specifically created for their Force tradition, and I'm going to let Gary talk a little bit about them because he was their creator, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, it was me. I admit it. <laughs> I like the Vala. But now t- tell us about it. I mean, what 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 are your thoughts on it? What was going into their creation?
5: Um, they actually come from a uh, an old campaign I, I, I ran a long time ago, and um, I was always very – I like them a lot because they, they made good villains, but they also made conflicted heroes. If you allowed players to play them. Um, and the, the original article that they might've actually been included in was, uh, Ord Vaxel prison planet of the empire, which went into, I believe it was a dungeon number one Oh six. And there was a prominent NPC hunting the Jedi in the party that that campaign was originally based on. And he was a Vala and, um, being as I was in charge of coming up with Force traditions, I thought, you know, these guys would probably fit fairly well into the Legacy era, just given their, uh, the fact they hate Jedi and the fact that they are so dark. And I went ahead and threw them in um, with Rodney's blessing, I might add. Uh, <laughs> and that's pretty much the story behind the Vala. I mean, there's, there's not much else to it. I just had an opportunity to, to, to flesh them out, add them to the the mythos.
2: Well, see, so that's interesting, because yeah. I, I had not heard of the Vala before, and I said to myself, wow, I guess that's just something of the EU I just haven't read, I don't know yet, and now you tell me this. I mean, so this is totally your brainchild. This is your contribution to the Star Wars universe.
5: Well, one of them, I guess. I mean,
2: well, yeah, but I mean, for the, yes, one of your contributions to the Star Wars universe. That's fantastic. If if
5: I'm given latitude to just come up with stuff, and it makes it past, past uh, the sensors, then heck, I'll I'll go for it. <laughs> I love making shit up. Excuse my French.
2: (laughs) That's okay. Um, Okay, so I always ask you guys this. Um, Sterling, Rodney, Gary, do you have a favorite species from the book of all that's in there?
1: I'm going to let Sterling go first because I got to think about it.
0: Well, and actually, since I didn't have anything to do with the species chapter, I'm still getting caught up on them. So,
2: (laughs) Fair enough. And, Gary, do we have to ask you, or is it going to be the volatile? I game? mean, the
0: Zeltrons are obviously fun, but... The uh...
2: Zeltrons are great, but it's, you know... It's oh. a
5: sub- well, it's kind of a toss-up for me, just looking at the list. I'd have to say, uh, I love Nagai, just back from the old Marvel right. comic days. The Nagai were uh, one of my favorite races back then. And uh, I love we- I love the Weequay. I absolutely adore the Weequay to death. Uh, I-, I love their whole Magic 8-Ball thing, and... <laughs> <I> just- <laughs> I just think that they're uh, they're kind of underrepresented sometimes, but then again, they're just so darn mean.
1: Yeah, especially if you've seen the new the Clone Wars episode a few weeks ago, where they were the 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 weakway pirates were definitely very cool. I'm gonna go with the Chiss for mine, um, just because I really like that kind of cultural identity crisis that they have during the Legacy era, or at least that we've said that they have during the Legacy era. And plus, they're I mean. Yeah, everybody likes Thrawn, and everybody said I saw someone in the chat room was like, "Oh yeah, they're the new Mandalorians or whatever." But I don't really feel that way. Um, To me, the Chiss are sort of—they've still retained a lot of their alienness. They still are largely unknown, uh, an unknown quantity. and uh, We're learning more about them every day, but I don't feel like I, I f- still feel like the Chiss are still kind of strange and out in left field, and nobody really knows a whole lot about them yet, and that's very appealing to me.
2: That's cool. Okay, so moving into um, the heroic traits, because uh, you guys talked about it earlier, there's a lot of cool stuff here. now, And just raw, there's 71 new talents in this book for existing classes and existing prestige classes. Um, 35 new for the cores and 36 for the existing prestiges. And there's some awesome stuff there. And um, I know we actually, in in prep for this, we had a few questions from the Gamer Nation about some of these talents. Um, In particular, one of the things people are talking about a lot uh, out there in the intertubes is Cortosis Gauntlet Block, uh, which is new in the lightsaber combat talent tree. Um, so I'm curious to know how, because there's been some confusion. Can can one of you guys explain how is this different from the Cortosis Gauntlet use description in Threats of the Galaxy? I mean, if, if you if you use this talent, how how is it different from just strapping on a Cortosis Gauntlet as it's described in Threats and and using it that way?
1: Well, it's two totally different actions, right? Okay. The to use Cortosis Gauntlet uh, by itself, its innate quality is normally you have to ready an action to block with it right it is you give up your standard action to block with it by default and that's i mean that was just something we decided to do because otherwise the ability to shut down a a lightsaber for two minutes was it's it's just really good right yeah so uh to use that aspect of the cortosis gauntlet the the default aspect is you know you give up your standard action you're ready in action uh and then you have a chance to block it although you won't necessarily do so and you'll take damage Cortosis gauntlet block. The talent basically says, if you have the block talent, then you don't have to have a lightsaber active to use it. Right. That means that blocking with the Cortosis gauntlet is still a. It's a reaction, not a standard action. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Because you're you're reacting to it, and that means you can do it multiple times over the course of a round as well. Right. So basically, it's just saying. You know, if you've got a Cortosis Gauntlet and you have block, you can take this talent not only to be able to do it without a lightsaber, but also the advantage is if you block with a Cortosis Gauntlet, it shuts the lightsaber down. Now, note that that doesn't mean it shuts it down for two minutes. The idea is that it's sort of more of a glancing blow, so it doesn't quite short out the lightsaber like readying an action does, and that's sort of the balance there between, you know, using block and readying an action, right? So it doesn't doesn't totally negate... The idea that I could use, you know, the ready action, right? So there is still a use for the base ability of the piece of equipment, in that you know it becomes a tactical choice, right? Well, I could just you know block as a reaction and not sacrifice any actions, or I could ready an action, sacrifice my standard action, and basically say, you know, I'm going to take a chance, and if I succeed, I, I will shut down their uh, their lightsaber for two minutes. So that's, I mean, it's two totally different ways of using the gauntlet.
2: Right, but with the talent, I mean, once once the lightsaber gets shut down, they just got to spend a swift action on the lightsaber wheel to turn to flip it back on, basically.
1: That's correct.
2: Okay, see, that's that's fantastic because it's kind of I, I think a, a buddy of mine summed it up when he because he he was trying to explain this to me and he explained it to me just the way you just did through through his inter- own interpretation. He says, oh, "You gotta understand when you're readying the action, it's like you're reaching out and you're gonna grab the darn lightsaber blade with your gauntlet. I mean, a hardcore hit, but a block is like you said, just a glancing blow. So." Yeah, that, that made some sense to me. I like that. I like it a lot. Thank you for the clarification. Um, but there's a lot of great stuff new for the Jedi talents. There's a lot of new Jedi Consular talents. Um, and of course the, uh, some new, new Guardian and Sentinel stuff as well. And then of course uh, a couple new of the uh, lightsaber combat talents. Um, now for the Noble, there was a brand new talent tree in its entirety. Uh, the Provocateur talent tree. Uh, which uh, is kind of all about turning your enemies against one another. And um, uh, by the same token, we also had uh, brand new talents for the other three base classes. We had uh, uh, the the Vong biotech, which was a full new tree for the scoundrel. Um, we the, there was a brand new soldier talent tree, the brute squad talent tree. I got I gotta know who who wrote the talent tree, brute squad talent tree.
0: Well, I I started it. Uh, I didn't. I called it actually the brute force talent tree, and uh, so I think Rodney renamed it down the line. That's
1: awesome. Uh, actually, I, to, I'm pretty sure it changes. got changed. I'm pretty sure it got changed in editing. Actually, I don't believe that was my change. So i to got to hand that one to the editors. Actually, Chris Perkins was the editor on this one.
2: Ah, oh, okay. K- kudos <laughs> to Chris Perkins. Um, oh, that, that's just hilarious. And then, of course, we have the... There's a new scout talent tree, Versatility, as well, which is a very um, versatile talent tree. Um, and within that talent tree, there was one other question we had from the Gamer Nation. R- the talent ready and willing... There's been some clarification as to how that works. Can one of you guys summarize that?
1: Yeah, so it's it's not... The gr- I mean, I will be the first one to admit, it is not an extremely useful talent if you don't use the ready to action a lot, right? Okay. Um, and sometimes we'll do that. We'll include a talent in the game that maybe it's not the greatest one for every character. Maybe it's not really high on the power scale, but there may be some players that want to take this. And frankly, with the number of talents we're putting out there right now, there's so many choices that it's, you know, it's it's okay for us to occasionally put a few in there that are a little more corner case in their uh, execution, but to answer your question, Ready and Willing, basically what it's saying is when you're ready in action, you set certain preconditions. Like, I'm going to shoot the first person that comes through the door. Now, you always have the option of not taking that action. But there's also going to be some times where your condition that you set doesn't come to pass, and you know, you're know you basically saying they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and it never happens, right? Mm-hmm. What this talent allows you to do is ready in action, set your precondition, and Anytime before your next turn, you can choose to take that action even if the precondition hasn't been met, right? So the idea is something like this. I say, okay, I'm going to ready an action to shut the door as soon as um, my ally comes through the door, right? And I wait and I wait, and on his turn, he doesn't come through the door, Rather than making me waste that action, that basic that that action that I had readied, I can choose to take that action then and shut the door, even though my ally had never come through. It is a little more situational in talent, and I understand that it's not going to be high on anybody's list. But you know, if you're a scout that likes to basically react to what his allies do. And that's sort of what the versatility talent tree is all about. It's about reacting to other people. Um, If you like to react to what your allies do and what to your, what your uh, enemies do, this is a talent that gives you a little more flexibility in those reactions and how you use them.
2: Fair enough. Cool. Thank you. Um, so aside from talents, we had several new skill uses. Uh, a lot of it dealt, though, with, of course, we're bringing in all this stuff for, for using Vong Biotech. So it has to be covered. So, I mean, there's new uses for mechanics and treat injury to do biotech adaptation repair. Um, I'll, and repair. And use the Force, of course, because really taking the time to clarify how using the Force U- UTF checks interact with using and Vong stuff, basically. But I love the fact that there's finally uh, some, some hard raw out there to use computer to access and reprogram uh, code cylinders, access cards, um, and other yeah,
0: stuff. That was something I kept running across in my game. My, my, uh, some of my players have tried that from time to time. So yeah, it was nice to be able to sit down and uh, take a shot at, uh, at bringing that in.
2: That's very, very cool. There was also 19 new feats in this book. And by far and away, there's some awesome stuff here. Um, I mean, just, just stuff that was just, is going to be honestly really, really fun to do. The attack combos I thought were really, really interesting. Um, it, it kind of a sort of a, a, a building, a different, different kind of attack option, I guess you can say. Um, but far and away, my, my personal favorites in this were um, obviously uh, multi-grab, but then ultimately knock heads uh the, the idea of grabbing two foes and just slamming them together um i thought was just just absolutely heroic and, and beautiful and wonderful and i'm i'm glad we have a mechanic for it finally um but you, go ahead
0: oh i was just going to say yeah it was um just one of those things that kind of i don't know came to me one day and said well let's see if i can do a feat out of this and it was also what i was thinking about other ways of using the grab um mechanic as well and so you'll see some other things like multi grab and things like that um trying to sort of flesh out what we could do with that mechanic a bit more.
2: That's fantastic. Uh, now you mentioned earlier that you Sterling that you loved the uh the the new seducer uh talent um for for the the scoundrel. I mean working in the the heroic traits. Was there any other cool feat or talent or or mechanic that you really thought got a kick out of bringing in?
0: Oh gosh. Um that was probably the top of the list. Um <laughs> And we already talked about the use computer. Uh, yeah, use computer well, yeah you may have already answered that question for me. So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: okay. Uh, Rodney, Gary, was there any, any cool heroic trait that you guys were, were glad to bring in or, or, or get to see?
5: Gosh, I hate to say it. You know, I don't really have a clear idea of what actually made it into the book uh, as I wrote it. <laughs> so I, I couldn't answer that question right now. Um, but once I once I have a copy in front of me,'ll I'll be happy to answer that oh, question right. on, on the We not
1: So so don't feel bad. I actually don't have a copy in front of me because we haven't gotten our copies in yet due to a shipping problem. Oh. So yeah, it's not I'm not hiding them from you. Don't feel bad. I' just, well, I'm here uh, for you.
2: I, I
0: went out and picked up a copy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I luckily have I luckily have a pre-press copy of the book that I can flip through, but unfortunately, I don't even have a physical copy yet. Um, to answer the question about some mechanics that I really want that that I'm really fond of, um, it's hard for me to pick anything uh, in particular. I do I did have a lot of fun uh... concepting out and developing the stuff like the scoundrels using vong biotech tree right where this idea that i'm a i'm a human scoundrel but i use using vong biotech i keep going back to that i know but that was that was pretty cool as far as i'm concerned and then um... it's interesting during development i realized that we didn't have a lot of information on how biotechnology worked. Com, you know in in conjunction with regular technology and stuff like that and obviously we will probably want to flesh out how biotechnology works in more you know, detail sometime down the road, uh, but I wanted to at least put it in there in a, a simple and usable form for the legacy era. So that's why you see things like the biotech adaptation uh, application of the mechanic skill, mm-hmm. and also why there's a new template in the book that basically takes any normal piece of equipment and turns it into a biotech version of that, right? That was sort of my compromise with this book because obviously, you know, down the line we'll wanna set up Villops and, and all the different pieces of um uh Yusinvang technology that exist, but you know, we didn't have room for all of that stuff, plus what we already had in this book. Uh, in this book, So that is sort of my compromise. Say, Okay, you need a communication device between two people. So you take the template, you put it on the comm link, and that becomes the Yuzhen Vong biological, basically, communication device. And then we leave it up to the, DM, or the GM to figure out exactly what form that takes, right? So, for example, you know, I can imagine, basically, the game master's like, okay, I need a a device that displays information. I take this template, I put it on the data pad, and then I describe it as, you know, it's this sort of hard, rocky um, tablet that has a thin layer of, of, uh, of biological matter on it that changes colors uh, when it's, you know, charged with electric, electrical impulses. Right. So you get this kind of, um, you know, bioluminescent data pad, basically. Uh, You know, functionally completely identical to the normal data pad, right? Nothing, absolutely nothing changing there. That's kind of the nice thing about the template is, you know, you don't have to really worry about the rules and whether or not, oh, it's the biotech version, this is going to break my game. But it lets you have that kind of neat flavor, and it gives our, our game masters a chance to flex their creative muscles. So I really, I was really happy to put that in there.
2: That's awesome. Now, moving on to, okay, uh, and I guess obviously we're going to, Gary, we're going to come to you quite a bit here because we're talking about prestige classes. Um, but there's lots of good stuff in here for prestige classes. We had some, as far as the oldies and goodies go, we had we had new stuff for the bounty hunter, the elite trooper, the gunslinger, the Jedi knight, the officer, and the set the Prentice. Um All got brand spanking new talent trees. Uh, which I thought was was fantastic. The, the bounty hunter had the, the the force hunting talent tree, the force hunter talent tree to to, to use you know your skills to hunt force users. Um, lots of good bodyguard stuff with the protection talent tree for elite trooper. Guys, let's talk about the gunslinger because there's been I, I think this filled a niche that needed to be filled with with the, um, the 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 carbine the carbiner talent tree or the carbineer talent tree or however we want to pronounce it, um, but. I know, I know, Rodney, I know you and I are both fans of Westerns. And, you know, the Rifleman has got a place in my heart from when I was a kid watching Nick at Night. Um, so what was the decision here? Because there's been some talk about, you know, bringing rifle, you know, as far as the Gunslinger goes, that it wasn't really a good prestige class for a, a Rifleman. Was was it kind of the attempt to, to kind of include that in the Gunslinger and make it there? Or, you know, what was the overall goal with that?
1: Well, I'm actually going to let uh, Gary handle this one because he's the one that designed it. So uh, I think you should probably address that question to him.
5: well uh the the history of this talent tree goes back to when i got pulled into this project and i said rodney what the heck am i going to write and he said well you know Cade, Cade, he uses these uh these carbines and it'd be really neat to have kind of a talent tree that took that and expanded on it and i thought about that for a while and got to writing and that's pretty much where it came from uh little known fact of my own i uh I used to Civil War reenact as a cavalryman and all we use is carbines on the Civil War battlefield as cavalrymen. So I have a little bit of working knowledge with how short rifles behave, Um, but, you know, beyond that, uh, I just wanted to give rifles, uh, carbines specifically, a little more flexibility, something that uh, players could use. It's, I mean, it's a little bit more intimidating having some guy point a carbine at you than rather a pistol. And there's there's also a lot more uh, utility in ranged combat, especially at longer ranges. Though I've been told today that most combat takes place at less than 30 meters anyway, so what's the point? But I don't know if I've answered your question. But that's.
2: No, no, I see where you're coming from. That's excellent. I, I, I thought it was a great choice to add in. Um, and it, it certainly, it, it satiated a lot of the uh, Gamer Nation, I can tell you that, so very, very nice. Um, now for the, the Jedi Knight, there was the Jedi Refugee Talent Tree, which I thought was really cool because, you know, again, this is an era where the Jedi Order have been, you know, are, are once again being hunted to extinction. Um, so the whole concept of, of putting that talent tree in there, of using the Force to help you survive, um, I think it's awesome because it would fit across multiple eras. Um, was that a consideration as well, or were you strictly trying to go for the Legacy era when you were designing that?
5: Oh, no, that was definitely a consideration for other eras as well. Um, I'm, as a GM, I was always trying to run these Rebellion-era games where there were multiple Jedi out there kind of living on the fringe, trying to keep their tracks covered. And uh, Refugee Jedi, I mean, that's, it's, it's almost a template of its own. I mean, they're all refugees, technically. Right, yeah. So I wanted to see something like that taken in and and used to allow people to, you know, who like to play Jedi and allow them to survive just a little bit easier on the fringe, as well as even in the core.
2: Very cool. Now, the... The officer and the Sith apprentice had two new talent trees, which I thought were very interesting, and they both deal with commanding troops, commanding a force. The officer had that, the fugitive commander talent tree, which is all about commanding a force on the run, which seems to fit really nicely into that whole, you know, refugee style, you know, uh, aspect. But the Sith commander, I, I really found interesting because it was about commanding your troops through fear and intimidation. So not using those things against your enemies, but using them to. Prod, if I guess, for lack of a better term, your allies, um, which I thought was was interesting. What was your what was your thoughts on that? What was your your ultimate ideas there?
5: Pretty much what you uh, what you covered. I mean, the Sith are they're all about ruling through fear, um, showing, making examples of people, and getting the best that they can out of these uh, soldiers who are more or less frightened of them. Because I mean, if you, if you, there's this whole. One of the one of the trades, one of the, the legacy trades. There's this whole section, this whole chapter about this stormtrooper unit, and they don't like the Sith very much, but they do what they're told because if they don't, you know, they're going to get throttled at a distance or, or electrocuted or what you know, what have you. Right. So the Sith are a very they're a very formidable commanding unit. They're kind of like the Jedi only. You know, you take that general thing from the Clone Wars and you turn it on its head. And sure, he's a general, but he's going to he's going to wipe us out if we don't do exactly what he wants us to do.
2: (laughs) But he'll he will choke us with his mind. Uh, Very cool.
0: Well, it is something they constantly do throughout the (laughs) Legacy series, too, I mean, in terms of trying to get their forces to do what they want through fear. I mean, all the way up to all the way up to the to Darth Crate. Right. So very very appropriate.
1: Yeah, and there's also going to come a point, I think, where um, we sort of, ab- well, I won't say abandoned, but we sort of step away from our idea that you are pretty much only going to play uh, good guys fighting the Empire, and will one day, and like I say, I, I, I can't make any promises or say any specifics or anything, but I feel like, you know, one day down the road, we're going to address the idea of the Imperial campaign, right? This is what happens when you play as the Empire, and I thought, you know, it might be kind of neat where... You know, okay, well, we want an officer that buffs us. Oh, maybe I'll take this uh, take this Sith. Maybe I'll play a Sith Lord who is the, the party's officer, right? So, you know, down the road, this talent tree actually may come to a little bit more prominence, or at least I, I think it, it might.
2: Oh, very interesting. Something to look forward to. Hoo-ah! <laughs> okay, well, okay, let's talk about the new prestige classes because I know that you already mentioned you, you have great love for one of them. Uh, and that would, of course, be the Imperial Knight, um, which, at least from from what we see here, is basically about using armor like a complete badass, and and having this unwavering sense of dedication and resolve. Um, talk to me about the Imperial Knight, man. In particular, there's one thing I want to ask you about. A lot of people are, for lack of a better term, bitching, uh, whining about the the uh, armor mastery talent. Saying it's it's it, it's too powerful. It's just oh, you get the benefits of two other talents just by taking this one, and oh, and the the proponents are like, well, yeah, but it's a prestige class talent. It, it is what it is, you know, and yada yada. What t- talk to me about that, and talk to me about your general uh, design when you were when you were building the the Imperial Knight.
1: So I want to actually jump in and answer the armor mastery issue <laughs> yeah, because okay. i have also. You I have also seen a lot of people um, upset about this. And unfortunately, I have just been super, super busy at work over the last couple of weeks. I've just got uh, about 10 plates up in the air that I'm trying to keep spinning. So I haven't had a chance to jump on the forums and really talk a lot. Uh, so first of all, to everybody on all the forums that I frequent, I haven't abandoned you. I do read every day. I just haven't had time to compose extensive, you know, thoughtful responses. So, Armor Mastery. First of all... Uh, I messed up, and uh, Armor Mastery probably should have been renamed to something else because we already have an Armor Mastery talent for the soldier. So ignoring that little, that little slip-up that I probably should have fixed that during development but didn't, um, I think that it's perfectly fine for two reasons. One, it is a Prestige Class talent, which means that you can't even think about getting it until at least 8th level. Uh, and Prestige Classes only have, or at least the Imperial Knight prestige class, only has five talent slots. You can only take five talents out of this whole tree, right? That means that if you take this talent, it is consuming 20% of all the talents you could possibly take from this tree. You have to make a choice between, am I going to take you know, these two talents early in my career, or am I going to go later And choose this talent later in the career, get more benefit out of one talent, but also that means I can only possibly have four other talents from the Imperial Knight, you know, assuming I go all the way up to 20th level. So, it's about choice, right? Plus... You know, you can always benefit from armor earlier, especially if you are uh, taking something like the Imperial Knight armor, getting a nice fortitude buff, right? It is completely reasonable to think that you, you know, would, would need to make a choice that is a viable choice between, you know, do I start taking these talents early and save an extra talent? And plus, let's be honest, as people go up in levels, right they are less and less likely to continue playing their campaign. Most campaigns actually take place at low to mid-levels because high levels, you know, most of the time either the campaign ends early or it fizzles out or something like that. That means that as you're playing through the game, you're going to get, you know, to 8th level. Is the, Are you really going to spend the first... You know, talent on uh, out of this prestige class on something that that you can get with other talents from another class, or are you going to want to take one of the new talents that does something unique, does something different, out of this prestige class? So it's a it's a tactical choice when building your character. You know, yeah, it probably saves you one talent, but you got to wait a while, and you you know you end up not getting one of the new hotnesses out of this tree or out of these (laughs) two talent trees, I should say. You know, it's it's just, it's a choice, right? It's a decision that you have to make as a player whether or not you want to spend 20% of your prestige class resources. I, I think that's fine. Um, if people disagree, you know, whatever. It's not power creep, I don't think, because you're either, one way or the other, you're choosing to spend about 20% of your talent resources. You can either spend two of your 10 or one of your five. You know, that's that's the way it breaks out. Uh, in my opinion, not to mention the fact that the Imperial Knight also has a few more stringent requirements on it than other prestige classes. Right? I mean, you got to be at least proficient in medium armor, which the jedi base class doesn't give get, give you. So you've got to multi-class into soldier, anyways. Right? I don't know. It's uh, uh, people may be unhappy with the presence of the talent. I think it's perfectly fine, though. Um, I not to mention the fact that, that it's one of those. The 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 original two talents for the soldier are the are a couple of talents that are bordering on being a talent tax instead of an actual you know logistical choice, so, hmm. um, that yeah so that that's just uh, the way I feel about it. Obviously, I've given some thought to this and I've I've heard other people's complaints, but I just don't see how. You know, if you look at it like, oh my god, you're getting one talent or spending one talent to get two talents worth of benefit, yeah, I can see why you would think that's unbalanced. But there are a lot more factors that go into balancing a talent than just what does it give you. you got to think about when it gives you what, how many other options you have to choose from, uh, and the like. So, there you go.
2: Well, tell us how you really feel. No, um, I
1: won't. No. I, in fact, I'm going to hide my emotions from you. This is all a clever facade.
0: And it's not like it's a talent, just any any character can take. like you said, there's a lot of requirements. you have to be an imperial knight and you have to be uh, so not just any soldier or uh, Jedi can get out there and take it anyway.
2: very true. Very true. Gary <laughs> Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean okay, so I mean how do you feel about it one, but more importantly too, back back to the Imperial Knight, what all were you looking to uh, to bring into that prestige class?
5: guess i just kind of wanted to define the way that they they worked um as i said i'm not sure what actually made it <laughs> into the book uh, so rodney's probably uh the best person to ask about specifics but you know i wanted to define their own lightsaber styles i don't know if that made it in did it does anybody know
2: uh, well, what did they you did. Call it?
1: They did actually, yeah. and that was one of the things I really w- I wanted to point out. If you, if you hadn't, was that uh, Gary actually defined at least uh, two? I think it's just two. It might have been three, but I think it's just two new, basically uh, lightsaber combat styles, specifically for the Imperial Knight. Uh,
2: the, oh, the the Pretoria. Um, yes, the
1: Pretoria issue and Pretoria Vonal are both uh, new lightsaber combat forms.
2: Yeah, those were awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's 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 some awesome stuff there.
5: Um, I also wanted to make sure that they got their due with the Emperor. You know, they are his his personal guard. And uh, he's he's a badass as it is. And I think the people who are defending the Emperor should at least yeah. be badasses. Be badasses. <laughs> so, it's, you know, somebody's somebody saying that I wanted to make them awesome. And, and sure, maybe I did. But um, I kind of rely on the, the folks at Wizards to make sure the, the rules that I... Poop out, for lack of a better word, are balanced when, when all is said and done and printed. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, as you put there's it, no
1: actual pooping involved in the creation process, by the way.
2: Oh, well, I, I do have, I do have two children, and uh, they oh, do right. A lot of pooping. Fair enough. So, in your household, at least there could be pooping near the creative process.
5: Uh, oftentimes, there is. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, talk to me about the Shaper, which is the other prestige class in this book. And obviously, I mean, you know, you're, you're bringing in the Vong if you really want to solidify them as a, a player character. Um, this seems like a really good option. Uh, what what design choices were, were really brought into this? What, what was the the hope here? The 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 goal to accomplish?
1: The Shapers actually, it was a bit of a challenge. I knew um, what Gary turned over uh, sort of served as the the core. You know, nugget of what would eventually become the shaper prestige class, but it's one that kind of underwent some changes over the course of a couple of different um, iterations of development. And um, whether it came out great or terrible, we will have to wait and see. But basically, what ended up shaking out was, in the end, I started thinking, how is a shaper who is whose who's goal or whose role in the books is largely off-screen? How is that going to be turned into something that we can use in game, right? That we can use actively. And so I started thinking, what you know, distill it down to its bare functions. What should this guy be doing, right? And he is creating enhancements for, or she, or whatever. He's creating enhancements for other Uzunvong troops, right? That's that's it, the that is the bare bones description of what they do. And so from there, I was able to take what Gary had written and sort of extrapolate it out to where. The shaper is sort of—it's sort of like the officer in that a lot of the officer's abilities are, you know, buffing your allies and letting them do funky things. So the the shaper is sort of like this halfway hybrid between the the officer and the 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 combat medic uh, from Force Unleashed and the saboteur in that they can kind of do. You know, these three different things. He can either, you know, the Shaper can heal, which, you know, makes sense with the the biotech and stuff like that. Uh, Or he can provide, you know, little buffs that come in these sort of implant packages, right? Uh, Sort of like how the Saboteur creates, you know, little attack platform packages. This guy's creating little buff packages that he can insert into people. So um, that was, that's sort of how he shook out. Um, whether or not the Shaper is, uh, going to be something that we see in, like, active play a lot or not, largely depends on, once again, how many Yushin Vong, uh, characters we have out there that aren't going to be, you know, crazy Yushin Vong warriors, right? I mean, I imagine the first instinct for most people is, hey, I want to play Yushin Vong, so I'm going to play a soldier and kill things really cool with an Alpha Staff, right? (laughs) Um, I can... uh, I can fully admit the Shaper is probably a bit more niche than our other uh, prestige classes, but I think that there are going to be some players out there that want to play the healer, right? That want to play the medic, but don't want to do the same old medic that they've done before, right? And I think this is a good chance for them to do something a little bit different.
2: Awesome. Well, moving on to the Force chapter, we had 10 new Force powers, a lot of really cool stuff in there. Uh, I don't want to delve into them too deeply, but for those of you with access to the material, do you guys have any favorites?
5: Uh me put you on the he, spot really hard. The one that lets me kill stuff.
2: <laughs> that would yeah. be combustion or uh ballistic kinesis.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Gary did the initial design of the uh the force chapter and uh, then I went back in behind it and it was actually um, the chapter had come up uh, a little bit short because we'd kind of shifted some text around. So that gave me a chance to do a little bit of design work as well. Um, so Gary kind of got the ball rolling on it. And then I took that ball and hurled it with a force at a bad guy and killed him. Uh, but yeah.
5: it—that's That's actually much nicer than you have yes. to be, Rodney. It really is. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh,
1: so there were a few in there that um, I like uh, Obscure and Stagger that I wanted to put in there that were um, things that we had seen people do in the comics. Uh, Or, let's see here, Stagger and... What's the other one that I'm trying to think of? Um, Detonate. We actually see Cade use Detonate when he's in um, the audience chamber with Darth Crate, and he sees his father's lightsaber in the glass case, and then he's just like, huh, glass case, huh? Boom, and he blows it up. It's sort of like the telekinetic version of you know, Shatterpoint, the, the whole Mace Windu concept where you know he can see where the weaknesses are and a thing. So I was like, yeah, that, that would make a cool power. And then I had to figure out, okay, how am I going to turn Cade breaking a glass case with the Force into a power that's not just, you know, Force Slam or, you know, Force or, or Move Object or something like that. So uh, the trick is always to take that and make it do something actually different that not only represents what we see in the comics but also has value outside of what the other... Uh, Force powers do. And then, like, Obscure is one of my players' absolute favorite Force powers because it basically lets him, you know, it lets him be more active in the defense of his allies, so the Force wizard type characters are going to love having Obscure. And plus, we can always use a few more mind-affecting Force powers. There actually aren't as many in there, which makes um, immunity to mind-affecting effects a less valuable, so by putting these in there, it actually enhances the value of other existing talents. It's I know it's kind of a weird, you know, dance between uh, the creation of powers and then the creation of defense against those powers. But yeah, plus I, I'm not going to lie to you, obscure is one of those things that I always want to do as a player. I'm like, oh, my buddy's getting attacked. I need to defend him. Oh, I can't. Blah. So hopefully, obscure will be one of those things that the the party. Focused player will want to pick up.
2: Very cool. Well, uh, Sterling, you mentioned you had a copy. Do- Are you uh, any any favorite force power in there?
0: I was just flipping through. Um, of course, I'm always interested to see how Dark Transfer and Improved Dark Transfer uh, have come out since uh, I was involved in the first, early part of that creation for Cade's healing power. Um, but yeah, these all seem pretty pretty entertaining.
2: Oh yeah, they're they're fantastic. I I'm I'm very excited to use some of them. But there's there's also nine new force techniques in this chapter, um, which are very cool. Uh, but we also finally had rules fleshed out for death sticks. In fact, there was an entire sidebar on it. And was this because of Cade, or was it something you guys just wanted to finally put in, or what?
1: Um. Well, you know, yeah, because of Cade for mm-hmm. one. Um, it's one of those uh, one of those things where I was like, well, you know what. What role does is this playing in the story, right? And in the Legacy comics, his narcotic addiction is sort of this. It's the method by which he evades his own legacy, right? And I was like, well, you know, this is actually serving a story purpose, right? It's not just like, ah, oh, kid Skywalker's a crazy drug addict, haha. <laughs> Look how weird he is, right? It's not just a throwaway character trait. It's actually something he uses to interact with his, his own legacy. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to see this in here. Plus, I uh, I love pulling in references from different parts of the Star Wars universe and tying them into something else. Uh, so this is a chance to say, you know, narcotics use isn't just for Fringers, right? Like we had the section, the sidebar on Spice in Scum and Villainy. You know, this basically says, okay, this isn't just for, for Fringers, right? This actually interacts with Force, force users in a different way, so... Uh, that's why you see occasionally random things thrown in like that.
2: Cool, coolness. And then to, to round out the fourth chapter, we had the the brand new For- the two new Force traditions. We had the Disciples of Twilight and, of course, uh, uh, Gary's brainchild, the Embers of Val, um, which was which was very cool. Um, and then we move on to equipment, weapons, droids, vehicles. There's lots of cool new weapons here. There's the shock whip, nasty, uh, long-handled lightsaber, and the infamous double-barreled carbine. From the new pieces of equipment and stuff out there, do you guys have any favorites? Anything that you uh, uh, were were pleased to finally see get its due?
1: Well, for me, um, basically, so I I was responsible for the bulk of the writing on the equipment chapter. So mm-hmm. for me, I spent about two days, um, not obviously not nonstop, but I spent about two days combing through the books looking for, hey, that looks like a really cool weapon what the hell can we turn that into, right? Like, oh, you know, it's it's probably just a blaster rifle, right? It's probably, we could probably just say, you know what, this is just a blaster carbine. But I wanted to say, you know, there's a reason why a player might want to read this comic and say, hey, that's a really cool gun. I wonder what it is. And then he can go and look and say, oh, it's actually a... You know, hunting blaster carbine, right? And so, part of the genesis of a lot of these weapons was just seeing people in the legacy comics using a special, a specific weapon, and then wanting to translate that into something interesting while still maintaining the balance with the core, you know, core weapons and such. So, um, I think probably my favorite of the new weapons is. Pro- I'm going to go with the double barrel blaster carbine just because <laughs> it's it's got this kind of nice, you know, I'm a space redneck and I want to shoot your tires out with my uh, double barrel blaster carbine vibe that obviously as a southerner I'm, I'm digging on.
2: <laughs> noted, noted. Uh, Sterling, Gary? Uh,
0: well, this is really. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to look at a lot of that yet. Uh, the double-barreled Blaster Carbine. Um, we had originally done a, a much shorter version of that uh, for the on, on online when we had to write up Cade for uh, one of the minis' previews. Oh. So it's nice to see that get uh, a full write-up.
2: Very nice.
5: I just have to say that the double-barreled Blaster Carbine sounds awesome. And uh, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It, it, it,
0: <laughs> Although I do, I do have to say I do like this long have long handle uh, lightsaber. Uh, that's a, that'll be a nice uh, thing for uh, people who really want to take a different uh, approach on their lightsaber combat.
1: Yeah, yeah, I wanted to kind of give the dex-focused uh, Jedi a little something in here, and you'll actually see a little bit greater variety of uh, lightsabers in the upcoming um, Jedi Academy book, which is actually the next book to come out, believe it or not. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, time flies. Um, so you'll, you'll see a little bit greater variety of weapons. Um, and uh, this was the long-handled lightsaber was sort of my attempt to say, you know, there's there's an actual reason besides style why this skinny-ass Nagai Sith Lord... Uses this weapon. I mean, he's 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 skinny, but he's toned and everything. So I said, you know, he looks like he's probably a little bit more on the dexterous side than you know Darth Malival or one of the other super bulky, you know, muscular Sith lords. So uh, the long handle lightsaber was sort of my attempt to explain why this guy uses this kind of weird looking lightsaber. That's
2: cool. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, there's there's new stuff in the equipment chapter for, you know, getting that biotech in there, um, you know, bio implants, the living vehicle templates, stuff like that, transferring, um, you know, existing tech into into using Vong tech, at least for, for that time being with, through the use of those sort of slapped on templates, which, I mean, I know you say you did it as a, a sort of, you know, okay, we'll do this for now. I thought it was a very elegant design choice. It's simple because all the same rules apply. It's just, okay, we're making this slight adjustment. Um, so I thought I, I enjoyed that at the very least.
1: Yeah, it's going to largely depend on the role you want uh, biotechnology to take in your game. If you want it to just be a sort of background element that that serves, you know, your character's needs, then this is perfectly serviceable. I think that if you're running, like, a New Jedi Order campaign, you probably want the Yuzhen Vong biotech to be a little more alien, a little more specialized, and you want it to not be as easy to interact with it, right? Because it's supposed to... I mean, the whole point of the Yuzhen Vong invasion in the first place was, these are people that we know nothing about, and they're trying to kill us. What are we supposed to do, right? So uh, down the road, you know, I think we, we you know, we, they, it's in our interests to do more specific rules for biotech just because i think that it's going to contribute something to the flavor of a campaign that this the template does not but in the legacy era things aren't quite as alien right the the yuzhenvong biotech isn't as weird as it was during the initial yuzhenvong invasion so i think that the 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 templates do a good job of making it seem like okay you know, we, we, we understand what biotech is now. We can interact with it. You know, this is this is what biotech represents in the legacy era.
2: Easy. Very cool. And there are, I mean, half a dozen new biotech enhancements that are in there, uh, implants, um, which is, is very cool for those who want to dive into that, you know, at least on the cursory glance right now. So I like that. <clears throat> Chris? Yeah?
3: Can we talk about the elephant in the room now?
2: Yes, we can. We certainly can. To kind of wrap us around up the discussion, let's talk about the elephant in the room, far and away the most talked about feature of this book um, in, in the, across the intertubes in our forums and everywhere else, Legacy Destinies. Um, giving a player the chance to really like live out a fantasy with mechanical benefits beyond the role playing ones. So talk to me about this, guys. Let's, let, let's have a round table. I absolutely loved adding this concept to the book. What were the goals here? What were the decisions? What did you guys like about it? What did you not like about it? Let's talk about it.
1: I want to let Sterling take this one because Sterling was actually largely responsible for the initial design on the Legacy Destiny. And then I did the design on the Legacy, uh, basically the Legacy, like picking your Legacy and what those skills are. So I'm going to let let Sterling start, but then I may jump in at the end.
0: Done. Done. Uh, yeah, actually, he he's right. It he expanded um, quite a bit with some of those with the sample legacy destinies for like the Akbar legacy and that sort of thing. Um, gosh, the legacy destiny. Um, I mean, since the whole this whole um, series is based on uh, characters that are all that are all related to um, you know characters we've seen before. There a lot of them have names we've seen before. Uh, you know, it seemed like a, a really appropriate thing to bring that into. Uh, the campaign as a whole, um, and uh, so, like I said, I've just now seen uh, in the last couple days um, how, how much it's been expanded into this uh, with with all these other uh, named examples and so forth. Uh, so yeah, it was, was actually it was
1: originally two different systems. Actually, uh, originally there was the the Legacy Destiny stuff that Sterling created, and then I had created my own separate system that was, you know, you have a legacy, right? And it's it was tied to the Destiny system, but not quite as tightly. And then during development and then editing, Chris Perkins was like, so you guys kind of have these two systems that are trying to do the same thing. Can we... Um, mesh these together and make them play well with each other. And I didn't see any reason not to. So we we made it all one unified system. And that's the kind of thing you typically see during development is taking things that are disparate but related and then, you know, mushing them together so that they actually make sense.
0: So when I started with it, um, I also I started with the idea of, okay, you have this legacy. You can embrace it or you can deny it. And what happens if you go... Uh, you know, each route should you know give you different bonuses and different penalties, and then again, you should have the option of actually changing and switching um, and embracing a, a legacy you were denying. And you know, that's what Kate is going through. So it seemed really appropriate to bring that into the game.
2: Well, I, I thought it was very, very iconic. But more, I mean, I don't know. Speaking as a fan, who as a, as a player, I don't know. There's something so. Magical, for lack of a better term, about writing your own character into the history of the universe. You know what I mean? You know, and it's it's almost it's almost uh, fanboy chic, you know, and cliche. This, you know, yes, I'm uh, I am Luke Skywalker's uh, second grandson, and uh, I, I was a I was a bastard stepchild, and um, but you know, and it, people, you know, it, it's a it's a stereotype because it's true because it's fun, and I love the fact that we now have this mechanical benefit from doing it. So, okay, t- to ask you guys this, though, whether, whether it's in the book or not, because you guys wrote up some fantastic sample uh, Legacy Destinies in the book for specific clans and family lineages, if you were making a PC tonight and, you, and your GM said, okay, I, I want this to be a-, a-, a Legacy Destiny character, what would be your preferred legacy? What would be your preferred hero in the Star Wars universe to, uh, to follow from? Skywalker. No question. Skywalker. Done. Okay, <laughs> Sterling Gary.
5: Well, Skywalker, of course. And who else? Well, there
2: you go.
0: Oh, I don't know. Solo might be all right.
2: Ah, see, now we get. Now we get the. Uh, this is a very good personality test. I think we should develop this into you know, getting to know you better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just. I think there's such strong, like saga connection to the Skywalker name right like if you if you listen to a lot of the dialogue in the classic trilogy which I actually think is not nearly as bad as a lot of people think but if you listen to a lot of the dialogue the son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi right you know it's like how awesome is that I'm the son of Skywalker not (laughs) Luke shouldn't become a Jedi right that's okay how much more how much more gravity does that phrase have right and I think uh you know you listen to the you know, the emperor calls uh, calls Luke, you know, young Skywalker, right? I mean, that just has such such power, right? In, in the in the story, it really yeah. evokes this kind of, you know, it's sort of this archaic language, but it's also, you know, the power of the Skywalker name as well. And I, I just think it's this really cool idea about the legacy era that you could be you know, a Skywalker, right? And it does give you, as the DM or GM, a, a chance to say things like, you know, ah, young Skywalker, welcome, right? It's like, ah, oh, how awesome is that? That really feels like Star Wars when you start using names like that and being able to use them in the context of the game is just, you know, I, I, I think it really helps, you, helps it feel like Star Wars. And I'm not going to lie to you. I do, in fact, have a uh, Star Wars uh, baseball jersey that has Skywalker across the <laughs> back as the name. So, you know, I'm a little biased.
3: Do you have the Luke uh, Fathead in your bedroom?
1: No, I do not like looking at Mark Hamill uh, when <laughs> I'm in bed with my girlfriend. All right.
3: No Fair demand. enough. Uh, yes, but does
5: she like looking at Mark Hamill when she's in bed with you?
3: Uh, <laughs> bingo. That's the princess. Lion. That's a little below
1: the belt, but, you know, I probably deserve that.
2: <laughs>
3: hey. All right, Chris, what was yours?
2: Um, in all honesty, um, my hero in the Star Wars universe is R2-D2. Yeah. And so I thought the, um, the, the droid legacy, uh, was, was honestly my favorite.
1: Did you like that? Yeah. That was when I threw there in there at the last minute. I was no, like, I was very glad you how, did. How crazy would it be to let our players play as C-3PO or R2-D2 or whatever? Right? Yeah. Just,
2: you know, okay. That's, wow. They, they had their memory right. Wiped. Or something. That's
1: basically what it is.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think it's fantastic. Yeah, but R two is my, my number one hero in the Star Wars universe. He 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 saves the day always. He always, you know, it, the universe would be like destroyed like three times over if it wasn't for R two D two. So, you know, of course, apparently I, I was reading somewhere that we're all the only reason we know all this is because R two relayed this story to uh, a will like many way way like several hundred years after the Battle of Yavin. So I don't know. Maybe he wrote himself a nicer part. Who knows.
1: Wait, you, you do know that Star Wars isn't real, right?
2: <laughs> uh-huh. Um,
1: okay, just
3: checking.
2: No. It, okay, yeah. it happened a long, long time ago in, in a far, far away galaxy. Okay, that's, that's all.
3: Yeah. Oh, the chat room's got mine pegged before I even said
2: it. Yeah, we know what yours is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Wookiee over there. That's right.
3: I did, I, you know it's at the end of the show here but i didn't say thanks to the 121 of you in the chat room
2: are there 121 watching uh yeah fantastic thanks to the 31 of you who are posting currently <laughs> very nice well that kind of a, brings a, a close to our discussion on this book gentlemen i want to th- take time to thank rodney thompson sterling hershey and gary aselford for taking their precious time uh balancing what was it ten plates at once rodney and uh coming out and and something sh- like that sharing with us um their knowledge and their experience making this book somebody said it on our own forums you guys keep seem seem to keep setting the bar higher each time this is just a a really good book i, I was reading through it and i'm going through it, i'm like wow there is nothing useless in this i i'm very pleased and it just opens up so many avenues of option so yep. thank you guys thank you very much for for taking the time to come on and uh and talk to the fans that love you so much Thanks again.
3: No, my no. pleasure.
2: Thank, Thank you. you. I'm, I'm actually very honored, and uh, I feel very special to be here. Thank you.
3: Hey, this is your Thanks. first... Uh, oh, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off there. That's all right. This is your first time on, Gary, and so something that we like to do here on the Order 66 podcast is uh, have our guests leave us uh, wacky radio liners. I'm sure you're aware of what it is. Or maybe You've you're gotta not. You've got to be
5: kidding. <laughs> No, I do. I do.
3: Of course. And so, of course, we we open the show with Sterling's and with Rodney's. Of course, we're now going to close the show. Well, one with Chris Tulock but we'll hear that in a second. And yours. And so, therefore, we're going to put you on the spot now. And you know how it goes. Identify yourself. Say whatever you want. And then close it with, I never listened to the Order 66 podcast. And then you can add something on the end. or Whatever you want. Just make it better than Whitworth.
2: Be creative. Yeah, Whitworth, Whitworth was just, oh, yeah. Absolute bubkiss. Yeah, yeah. the
3: only thing he could do was, like, your mom at the end. Yeah. You know? I'm
2: telling you. Yeah, if Sam's listening, yeah, he, he knows. He punked out. He knows.
5: He knows. That's okay, though. It's okay. Jeez. Yeah, put me on the spot. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So, like, right now, just sure.
3: give it a whack. Spew something out. Absolutely.
5: All right. Well, this is Gary Astleford, and I'm looking into my Weekway Magic Eight Ball. And I never listen to the Order Sixty Six podcast.
3: Well, there you go. See how easy and is that? There. And it's unique. <laughs> did
5: he say weak
1: way magic eight ball? He did.
2: Yes, he did. Sure, he did.
1: <laughs> That's so you know, awesome.
2: okay. No, I'm just asking. Don't you know, Rodney? It's the new hotness.
1: <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> so, so we're wrapping up the show with Gary talking about eight balls, huh?
2: Yeah. Magic eight balls.
1: Oh, magic eight balls, just right? See
2: where your mind is, Tennessee. God. What?
1: What? what well, I like to play pool. <laughs> what you are talking about sir?
3: Yeah. Really. They call him cue ball.
1: So so can I share an interesting uh art anecdote from the legacy book?
2: Uh, p- uh please.
1: Okay, so if you look on page, I think it's either 95 or 96, I can't quite tell from my screen, I think it's 96, there is a picture of a bounty hunter that says Legacy Bounty Hunter, right? 95. The, yeah, okay, so 95. And so the idea behind this art piece was that it was supposed to show how a a single character could embody these this wide variety of different traits from past eras, right? <laughs> So, what is funny about that?
2: Oh, no, I'm I'm saying... Once
0: you say that, I I understand this picture. Yeah, yeah. Go, Go on.
1: The problem is, there's no context here. So, it's just like, okay, there's just a guy here. He's just a guy, huh? Uh, but when I was cooking up the art order, I was like, okay, we want this guy to be a cool mishmash of technology from different eras. So I said, okay, start with the armor of the Sith Trooper from Knights of the Little Republic, okay? But then give him a clone trooper helmet that he has then modified, right? So it's a clone trooper helmet modified on, on Sith uh, Trooper armor. Then give him a blaster rifle that's being used by uh, some character in the Legacy comics. And I was like, okay, what am I going to use from the from the Rebellion era? God, I, you know, I've already got helmet, I've got armor, everything like that. What am I going to use? And then it dawned on me. The cape is Lando Calrissian's cape. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's your Legacy bounty hunter. He's wearing armor and helmet and a cape from all different eras.
2: Fantastic.
3: <laughs> That's awesome. Alright, so I'm going to ask a question that I'm sure I'm going to get no commented on, but um, are is there or are there any plans to work with Bioware, with the upcoming MMO, to produce a book that is in that campaign setting, not necessarily KOTOR, but post Treaty of Corson, all that?
1: Uh, well, I I won't say no comment. Um, We are actually pretty fortunate in that since we all work with Lucasfilm, we can kind of bounce things back and forth. Uh, So, for example, obviously John Jackson Miller worked on Nice Little Republic with us. uh, And then for Legacy, we got some feedback from John Ostrander. Uh, early in the process, and he, he provided us provided us with some information. So it's pretty easy to work with uh, other licensees, although the amount of uh, information we can trade varies from book to book. By the same token, um, all of our books are provided to licensees as uh, reference material. So I would say, if anything it does ever happen with that uh, time period, and I certainly you know won't count things out, although it's it's. I mean, the game itself is too far away that uh, we haven't really started thinking about it, right? It's, I mean, they haven't announced a release date, and they, you know, if they haven't announced a release date for it yet, there's no way we can plan around it, obviously. So, um, I would say that once the game does finally come out, there's a, I mean, I, I would love to do some stuff that interacted with the older Republic. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Knights of the Old Republic and everything like that. So when that day comes that the game comes out, yeah, I mean, I'd love for that to happen. But, I mean, until we have any kind of, you know, information on that, there's no way we can make plans. So there are none right now. Right, But, you
3: know, that doesn't mean it won't happen. Right. But Fair you three enough. are at least going to be in our guild. Right?
2: Oh, yeah. You guys, you guys, seriously, you got you to consider the Order of 66, which is going to be uh, our sure. old guild. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. gonna be sweet. Okay, so what fun. are y'all's votes? Empire or uh, or Republic? Set the Republic. Because they've now cl- they've now codified that you're gonna have to choose one faction to be in.
1: Well, I I do like being a good guy. I will say that much. I'm I'm definitely pro good guys. Uh, that having been said. Uh, Dave made a good point on the podcast a few weeks ago that a big guild could, you know, mess up the balance of a server and it's no fun playing on an unbalanced server. I mean, ah. even if you're on the right side of that balance, it can kind of it kind of suck sometimes. So,
3: well, next um, uh, next, I'm,
1: next I, I could play either.
3: Next Holocron, I think we're going to I'm not sure if we're going to have the deal in place, but we're we're trying to make a deal with the old timers guild that they're going to go Sith, we're going to go Republic and then we'll allow players to like, their players that want to play on the good side will play with our guild, and our players that want to play on the dark side will play with their guild.
1: Sure. That's fantastic. Well, the other thing, too, is I'll, I'll say this. I tend to prefer smaller guilds just because I th- feel like you get to know people a little bit better. But depending on what kind of guild support the game has, you know, we'll see. I I don't even play MMOs anymore, so this is all a lot of speculation and spitballing for me.
3: Yeah, there you go.
2: Good point. Now, Sterling, is your wife on the chat room saying she's going to join our guild?
0: It uh, looks like it, yes. That, awesome. is, that is your joined wife? in About halfway through the show.
3: Oh my <laughs> gosh! I thought that was somebody like spoofing us. That's so no. awesome.
0: That's Mrs. Hershey.
3: <laughs> that is so cool.
0: Yes, she surprised me too.
3: Oh, now all we need is one of you guys' moms to show up. Hush. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I guess my we'll...
5: mom definitely does not listen to this podcast.
3: Yeah, we know. Ah. <laughs> Nobody
5: I think my does. wife
0: is listening, just so she can get in any comments I ha- might happen to make about the, the uh, Dawn of Defiance group, since she's in it. Oh.
2: oh, really? Can I can I ask what she's playing?
0: Uh, She's playing a sort of
3: tech specialist type.
2: Ah.
3: Hmm. Nice. 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 Okay, so I guess we're going to wrap this up for the time being. Again, I want to thank you guys for spending your time with us
2: definitely and uh this is gm chris want to thank the gamer nation for tuning in and if you guys have not picked up this book yet this awesome legacy era campaign guide you need to run don't walk run to your friendly local gaming store or at least to your computer screen into amazon.com or some other fine e-retailer and order it this is gm chris wishing you all peace love and good gaming
3: and keep them dice rolling.
5: I'm Chris Tulak, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast.
3: D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and/or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related websites, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order Sixty Six Podcast. Daydreaming. Alright, forget it. I'm just gonna drop I'm just gonna drop the music down. Let's just start.
2: Okay, that's fine. Okay. Have you guys heard of Gnome Stew? It's actually an excellent um a GM blog. It's fairly popular. Um I know Gary Sarley posts over there quite a bit. Um or, or reads at least. Um, and for those who, who are not familiar with it, it's, it's nine GMs that are, are very experienced, and they post these blogs about GMing geared towards GMs. Well, recently, last week, Matthew Nagley, um, who's a great author over there, posted an, uh, a blog called The Concept of a Star Wars RPG Should Die in a Fire. boo Now, this generated, to su- suffice it to say, a storm of hate controversy, at least on our forums. And then you actually read the article, and it's very ill-titled. I'll say that. Um, He actually is making an excellent point in terms of how to deal with uh, dickish players and GMs whose knowledge of canon overpowers people having fun in the story. Does that make sense?
5: Sure.
1: I I think I understand. Sure.
2: Okay. So I contacted Matthew. And I've been back and forth with Matt via email, and he's actually a fairly nice guy. And he is going to be on the podcast in about two weeks' time, I think, um, to actually discuss this blog, and I'm very interested in talking to him about it. Um, the And, and he, he names several culprits. He says he's experienced the problem most often in Star Wars, but also, as far as D&D, he experienced a lot with Forgotten Realms. It's an absolutely huge issue, where... You know someone you know you're trying to write a great campaign or, or do something and uh, you know some players well, that, that could never happen that's not continuity or um, you know or the the harder scenario is that you're a GM and you okay you guys are on the planet blegelborg and you just expect them to know immediately what that means and all the implications thereof with no context whatsoever <laughs> um, so it, it's an interesting concept but I, I don't know it I wanted to speak to it because there's been a lot of a lot of hullabaloo on our own forums about it and i wanted to let you guys know about it um head over to com. prep read the article gamer nation and uh we're gonna be happy to talk to matt nagley in a couple weeks about his very ill titled uh but reasonably advised article it
3: was good content it's just that the title was so yeah (laughs) shocking it was you know it was like it was like uh what do you call it? Uh, sensationalist journalism, almost. Just a shock value of throwing a title out like that when the content really didn't support the title.
2: Well, okay. Gary, Gonzo
3: journalism is the term you're looking for.
2: Yes. There you go. Well, Gary was rather passionate. Gary Sarley was rather passionate when he, he posted um, he said, you know, listen, I've been reading Gnome Stew for a long time, and this is the first time I have ever been compelled to post a response to something. No. That title is way over the line. I spent a year of my life utterly consumed by the development and editing of Saga Edition. Dude, he was I, pissed. He was pissed. He's like, I permanently wrecked my health trying to get it ton- done in the time we had allotted So after putting that kind of blood and sweat into a project, seeing people enjoy it, and knowing that it brings much happiness to that many people in the rest of my miserable and probably short life, it's a real blanking punch in the face to read a title like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is I know what he was trying to go for there, right? He was trying to just hook people in and it's you know, it's the whole thing, right? People people will read something that's controversial. So, you know, I don't blame him. I mean it I, I'll admit, right, I'm very wrapped up in and in, in personally invested in my work and so when I see something like that, it definitely I mean, there's a little bit of a sting to it, but then, you know, you gotta remember, okay, one, it's the internet. <laughs> uh, we all know the John Gabriel greater internet dickwad theory, right? Yes. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that you just gotta, you know, you gotta step back and say, okay, you know, if they met you in real life, there's like a 90% chance they wouldn't say this to you. They're probably just trying to prove a point. I actually haven't read the article, but I will go read it before uh, you have the guy on your show and everything. The other thing is, you know, not everybody has to like the things I produce, right? I would like it if they did, but there's just no way that, that anything that we make is going to please all those people. So I've, I've sort of had to learn how to take the bad with the good. Um, that being said, there's also a lot of times where I think people have these sort of knee-jerk reactions to things, and you have to, you know, step back and say, okay, they're probably just reacting without thinking, and then over the course of a conversation, you'll see that uh, you know, either they'll come around or they'll be able to state their point in a more civilized manner. But the thing that always gets me about these, these Internet conversations is um, it reminds me of something my dad used to say, and this is going to show the true Southernism that runs in my family. He used to say, you know, son, there's two ways to say everything. I could go up to your mother and I could say, honey, when I look at you, Time stands still, and she'll be happy with me, right? She, she'll she think that, obviously, I, I think she's beautiful. Or I could go up to her and say, Baby, your face could stop an eight-day clock, right? <laughs> I've said effectively the same thing, but in two different ways that means two different things, right? So it's always one of those deals where I have to think, you know, how could I how could I couch my words in such a way that people won't think that I'm being a jerk? <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I think it's one of those deals where so much is not communicated well over the internet that it's no surprise that occasionally miscommunications pop up. Um, and yeah, he, he's absolutely right. Right? It, it it sucks when you get in a game with the player or a game master that says, you know, my knowledge of continuity is superior to my desire to make the game fun. And that's, yeah. that's a lot of times what gets said. Yeah. And it's a bummer.
2: I, it cracks me up. I, I experienced it honestly in my life, not so much with Star Wars, but more with Third Edition Forgotten Realms. Um, you know, where somebody who's memorized every single book. Um, and what, one of the things that cracked me up around Fourth Edition is when they reset the timeline for Forgotten Realms. Uh, people just, you know, people just went, "Oh my God, and the world was coming to an end," and those are the same people that are going to be a problem in a Forgotten Realms campaign. Uh, well,
1: not necessarily, right? Uh, like, uh, I, I, you, can under- general, I can understand. I can understand, yeah. Right, like I can understand when people get upset about something like that because there is a certain degree of investment that comes with mastering e- the knowledge of either a setting or yeah. something like that, right? And I think that a lot of times what happens is if you if you drastically change that knowledge, they they cease to be the expert, right? And and that has that that makes them. You know, that makes you vulnerable, right? It'd be like if suddenly tomorrow they rebooted Star Wars. Now, me, I, I don't care, right? Reboots, restarts, whatever, I'm fine. But there would be some people that that their knowledge base, they would feel like it had effectively been negated, and something that was once their their forte has been taken from them, right? And it, it, it creates feelings of vulnerability. So, it's you know it's totally understandable, and and I, I mean. There, once again, you can take it two ways, right? You can take it as a personal affront that you know this has been changed, and obviously, um, the the people making the changes have done it uh, to despite people who have been their longtime fans. Or you can you know step back and say, well, you know this may not be for me, but it may be for someone else, right? Like this may not be uh, like the Forgotten Realms reboot. Uh, you know, you you either feel one of two ways about it. You can say, well. You know, I don't like what they've done, but I can either go crazy or I can try to find something to like about it, right? Like, I'm, I was heavily invested in Forgotten Realms in, like, 2nd edition, right? Mm. Uh, I have tons of box sets and everything, and uh, I'm running Forgotten Realms for my Monday night 4th edition campaign, and I feel like I'm able to use either one just as well, but I also was not so invested in, like, the 3rd edition realms that I feel like an area of my expertise has been negated. So, you know, I, I understand why people feel that way, but you know, I, I tend to be a little more optimistic and I tend to think that how you react to those feelings is going to determine how much enjoyment you're going to get out of things in the future, right?
2: Yo, hey, that's a piece of wisdom. Absolutely. But the, the, the just the whole the hullabaloo around it in general is just funny to me. Well, people, I, people I, like I actually you.
0: did see the actually did see the article. I didn't read all of it. I got about halfway down and then thought you know, there's times when editing would help because I think it it did go on a bit, and uh, um, and a lot of things on the internet can sort of end up that way. Um, I don't know that blog uh, in particular if they have if they do any editing or if it's just their own people that are are just writing and putting it up. But uh, sometimes you can avoid um, some of these issues with. Uh, when you try and get to the point a little bit more concisely. Now, I, like I said, I only got about halfway down through it and then scanned down and saw a couple of Gary's comments and scanned through those, but uh, didn't really read it at all in detail because I sort of got the gist of what, what this conversation was going to be.
5: Right. Yeah, I, I my take on it is that uh, back when I used to run my my, my revised core rulebook campaign back home in California, I would always sit the players down right before the first game and say, okay, look... Um, Luke gets shot down by Vader in the trench and Solo flies off to spend his reward. Um, this is, this is, this is your game to be heroes. Okay. You don't need to worry about being overshadowed by these, these heroes. And I didn't do it so that the people who know everything wouldn't be able to pull on that knowledge. I did it because I wanted my players to have a more uh, central role in the way the galaxy is going to be shaped. Um, and I think that every DM or every GM has that opportunity. You know, you don't have to kowtow to the people who know everything. Uh, That's just my
2: perspective. I think it's an awfully good one.
3: Yeah, me too.
1: And, you know, yet another reason to like the Legacy era, right? (laughs) It's a lot easier to play in continuity and not have to deal with a whole bunch of it, right? I mean, let's let's just face it, right? When there's a small amount of continuity, it makes it pretty easy to do your own thing. But you also, like... I've, I've sort of, in my legacy campaign, I've been weaving the players in and out of the story, right? So, I think I've told you guys this before, that they were on the wheel when... Uh... Uh, when the Republic and the... or the leftovers of the Galactic Alliance and the uh, Rowenfell's Empire were meeting there. And so they were kind of crossing back and forth over the storyline. I, I think of it like, you know, if continuity is a lot, is a horizontal line, they're sort of like the, the sine wave going up and down across continuity. So that's always... I mean, it, it, it's sort of the best of both worlds. It makes people feel like they're invested in a you know, part of continuity without, you know... A bunch of ridiculous uh, uh, minding of uh, random facts and such. Yeah.
0: Well, and really, with the uh, the legacy comic, we're only getting a really small picture of the of the galaxy. You know, you know, a lot of the comic is really centered on very specific characters and not always giving us a big picture on what's going on uh, throughout most of the galaxy. We get a general idea, but you know, the specifics on on certain worlds could be pretty different, um, and we just don't know what they are yet, so that leaves you a lot of room.
1: Gentlemen, it's been fun, but unfortunately I must take my leave of you. Oh,
2: Uh, go have dinner with two of you. Uh, (laughs) Tell them we
3: said hi.
2: Rodney, it was good talking to you, man. Thanks for coming. But uh, but
1: I am leaving you with two very capable gentlemen in the forms of Gary and Sterling who can continue to waste time with you guys.
3: So, yeah. Oh, hey, I, ha- I, I have a real quick question, actually, and this can be a yes or no. Are you aware of anybody at LucasArts that is a listener of a podcast?
1: Um, No, that doesn't mean there aren't some there.
3: <laughs> right, okay, I just received a cryptic email from them and wanting to talk about the show, which is kind of weird to me. But
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't know anything about it. Sorry, buddy. It okay. could be the Holocron.
3: No. Yeah, they no, may be no, talking no. about the Holocron. No, they mentioned Order 66 specifically, so... Uh, oh, weirdness. I
2: yeah. don't know. Very interesting. Okay. All right, gentlemen. Well, lock thank the doors you for having and hope they don't have blasters. Lock
3: yeah. Nice. Thank nice. you. That's perfect.
2: <laughs> good night, Rodney. Thanks again.
1: Yep. Yep. Take it easy, guys, and uh, looking forward Rod- to the next time I get to be on the show.
2: Oh, night, Rodney. Yeah. Anytime you want to be on, let us know.
3: Oh, hey, episode right. sixty-six night, for sure. G-
1: good night, Gamer Nation. Good luck.
3: <laughs> As they all say, goodbye, Rodney.
2: Hi, Rodney. Yeah. Hey, Gary. Hmm. Okay, we we've we've had the chance to talk to Sterling before, and and the Gamer Nation knows that uh, that you know his quote unquote day job is he is a, an architect, um, but they may not know what you do. And of course, you have a wonderful website which you guys can go to, uh, which is what now? What, what do you mean, me or my day job? No. Well, first of all, what's your website? It's. Uh... Well, I've got.
5: I've got a blog that I do, but I also... You can get there from uh, www.garyalstiford.com.
2: Fantastic. Because it, it kind of talks about what you do, but um, I don't know. So tell the Gamer Nation. Tell us about yourself. What, what is your quote-unquote day job?
5: Well, I'm a content developer slash writer for the Warhammer online... Uh, massively multiplayer online game. And uh, I go to work every day and write about Dark Elves and Orcs and High Elves and Tomb Kings and you name it.
3: Dude, that is so cool.
5: Well... Yes and no, <laughs> because going to work and basically, for all intents and purposes, vomiting my brain onto a computer screen does not necessarily contribute to my coming home and doing the same thing, only on a different tangent. <laughs> I use a lot of my creative energy at work, and they're, they're very demanding over there. And that's not to say that they whip me or anything, but it's, it's, it's a definitely a job.
2: Very interesting. Very,
5: very It sounds
3: really, really cool because that's you know, the kind of perspective on an MMO. We really should have you on the holocron because that way you can give us perspective of what it's like behind the scenes of an MMO.
2: Oh, that's very true. You know, I um, I could I could
5: definitely come along. I'd have to probably check with my bosses because uh Yeah, our our show arts. is
3: <laughs> our show is pretty much in the domain of an of a competitor.
5: <laughs> well, what do you mean the no it's not really. Um Given that Electronic Arts owns both BioWare and Mythic, so that is true.
3: Oh, that is true. Um, That's all right. We'll we'll uh, we'll talk to uh, how does he say his name? R- uh, r- r- what Richard Tiello or something?
5: Oh, uh, John Richard Uh Riccitello. <laughs> Man, uh, d- I hope he's not listening.
3: Wow. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> no, he's not listening. Are you kidding me? Good lord. Then again, I mean, you know, up until like episode six or eight or whenever it was, I never thought anybody was listening to this podcast. And all of a sudden, we get an email, a voicemail from Rodney. Word. Which rocked our world. <laughs> no, it's, I was, it's. Yeah, I was. Oh, go ahead.
5: No, no, it's, I definitely have a different perspective than I did two years ago.
3: It's pretty nifty. All right. So, um, another very, very important question is. Um, I, I'm I'm lamenting the fact right now that uh they added Bejeweled to Facebook because it's taking up a lot of my time.
2: You mean just little simple bejeweled?
3: Yeah, but it's like it's called Bejeweled Blitz, so you have to do as much as you can in one minute. And I'm and I'm finding it absolutely maddening to get over one hundred thousand points. I can't do it. I'm at like ninety six thousand.
2: We need to work on your free time filters, dude.
3: I know. You know, and uh, the thing is, I was just like, okay, I'll just get a, I'll get my little 100,000 badge, and that's it, and then I'll quit, right? Well, pfft, I mean, gee whiz. It's just not right.
2: What? I don't have time. I just don't have time. Uh, you, know, you know what? When The Old Republic comes out, it'll consume my life, but until then, I just don't have time for much else, which is kind of sad and pathetic. But there it is. Now, Sterling, you were about to say something. Um.
0: Oh, I was about to say, I was listening to this podcast since I think it was the first show. It might have been the second, but uh, I'm pretty you, sure it was the how first did you No, it was find the first us? one. Someone posted somewhere, and wow. uh, I, I just said, hey. And I, I was listening to podcasts anyway uh, for about a year or so before that. And so I was really interested in I don't know, finding gaming podcasts. I'm like, oh, gosh, it seems like a natural. So I started listening to it, and uh, that was about it.
3: Wow. yeah yeah i i remember the we we kicked off our thing and then we 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 posted a couple of uh of items under our own you know we we created accounts or whatever and and went on and posted um on a couple of r p g sites and then somebody started one somebody who listened to our show started one on the official wizards board that i then created a a name d20 radio or something and then went ahead and posted in response but that thread brought us man that one thread brought us i don't know how many listeners from
2: from the Watsy boards
4: we did yeah we l- it
0: probably it probably was the Watsy boards
2: yeah we get a lot from nworld too um yeah we do mostly big big props always to the gamer nation who takes the time to put links in their sigs and and really get the online community at least knowing that we exist which is really nice
3: oh dang it that was going to be oh man that was going to be a, a wanted to get a, a revised rule book and give it away as a prize, <clears throat> but I guess we'll kick off that we'll we'll kick off that one uh, during the next show. I've got an idea. Yeah, I've got a big idea of how to of how to uh, the, get them. This this
2: idea excites me too. <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh, I told you about this one already. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, no. This is not the one with Joe.
2: Oh, okay.
3: Joe's idea is for the Holocron. This is one for us for the Order Sixty Six.
2: Oh, okay. Well, then I'm not aware of this. Yeah, it's a big idea.
3: A new big idea. Well, what the heck? All right, they're going to listen to the podcast anyway, so here it is. The idea is that you, Gamer Nation, must go out somewhere, somehow. Don't be crazy foolish about it, but go promote the Order 66 podcast in some way, shape, or form on a board or on the intertube somewhere and then send us proof of what you did. That's basically it, and we'll... Take a look at who was the most original, who is, because we have site traffic that we can monitor, who's driving us the most traffic from the site they posted on. Ah, so. And other factors, along just basically with the uh, how badass was the idea that you did. You know, I mean, if you wind up, uh, you know, you send an Order 66 t shirt to David Letterman that he winds up, uh, you know, wearing on the show, well, that's going to, you're going to win automatically. But um,
2: YouTube. We're going to see a lot of YouTube. (laughs)
3: Yeah, <laughs> that would be funny. But uh yeah, so that's um uh you know, something that uh I'm not sure what. I still haven't even figured it out. But uh anyway, we'll talk about it. We'll talk a little bit about it next show. We'll probably run it through probably all the way through April. Very yep. cool. That would be good. Maybe a little bit after Easter or something. Yeah. Give the put the uh order 606020 60, t-shirt on an, on the Easter bunny. Whatever. All right, but anyway, okay. I guess we'll wrap it up at that point in time, boys.
5: Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot of fun, guys. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to meet you and to meet the Gamer Nation, and to make my mark on the Order Sixty Six podcast.
3: Yes, indeed. And you, you
2: realize that now you are D Twenty Radio's own
3: Gary, Gary Asselford. Yep.
2: We can. We'll now oh. give you the moniker.
3: Yes.
5: <laughs> you probably have to fight with my wife, but <laughs> no, it, it, no not, okay. not
3: that we own you. It's just that you're one of our one of our own now. You know, we will add your distinctiveness to our own.
5: That really makes me warm deep inside.
3: Thank there you. you go. See, that's perfect. That's just perfect. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, guys, for allowing us um, to uh, to take your valuable time, Gamer Nation. Thank you again for allowing us to invade your personal space. You guys stay hard. Keep jamming, and we will see ya.